coming up here to read scripture, and I see the big print ones here. They didn't give me, they gave me the little print. But I got my glasses, so we're good. So the readings this morning are from Proverbs and Isaiah and Luke. And you can follow along on the back of your bulletin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his... The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So those of you that have been here this summer know that we're working on Proverbs and uh, probably not the most exciting book in the Bible, but uh, that's the pastor, the lead pastor's assignment and it's been kind of interesting and uh, I preach occasionally, you that don't know me, two or three times a year I guess, so there's something kind of exciting about doing it because you've got a lot of time and uh, I usually try to pick something that uh, if I'm allowed to pick my own something that's a little bit controversial because I can think about it and pray about it and kind of come together with it. So I picked the fear of the Lord, and I think uh, it's a kind of a controversial thing um, because we, I don't think we think like that, like the Old Testament Israelites do anymore, but, but still it's there. And uh, I think having a puzzling topic, you get to kind of work out the kinks, and there seems to be, you know, in the Bible there seems to be various contradictions, but from my point of view, I believe the Bible's the Word of God, so I try to work those things out. And you never, you never get the complete answer because theologians for the last 2,000 years have been working those things out, and they haven't got the complete answer. But you do get clarity. You get more clarity than when you started. So that's one of the reasons uh, I like doing that. Uh, the focus here, uh, Proverbs again. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of God's to-do list. You know, I think that's kind of how I look at it. You know, you read everything. It's about not so much what God's done for us. It's what we're supposed to do in response to God's existence, actually. And um, I don't think we like that very much. I think that's kind of, you know, most sermons we love to hear about the love of Jesus and forgiveness and his divinity. And, you know, no matter how bad you are, you can always come back and get yourself straight. Uh, so Proverbs is a little different thing, but, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about to do. Um, I think one of the reasons we don't like the to do list is that, uh, it takes a lot of effort because usually we're into habits. So we've already, uh, occurred over many years and it's hard for us to change. It's hard for us to listen to God and 
do something differently, but he does expect a response. And if you, if you don't believe me, you got to read all these characters in the Bible and what he expected out of them. And that was some of it is pretty tremendous that we, we thank God we're not St. Paul or you know some other uh, martyred uh, uh, man of God. So, like I said, it's uh, it's something that we we it takes a lot of effort. And we tend to want things easy. I think it's kind of an American cultural thing. And I say that, everything that I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself. So I don't want you to think that I'm pointing you out. But I think we as Americans like things easy. And I I think about my parents who, my dad was raised during the Depression. And I don't think he expected things to be easy. I think he expected them to be hard. And not saying that that's all a blessing either. but, But I think the kids, and then I think of my own kids, and they think it should be easier than I think it should be. So I think that's kind of a cultural thing that we have that we don't like the news that says get yourself together it doesn't have to be from god it can be on the job or from our spouses or you know maybe from being overweight whatever you know things that we have to do so we that's one of the reasons we proverbs is kind of a problem because we like things that are easy and i think we fail a lot we get a hold and we start doing something and we start doing it for a while and we fail and we don't like to do that either. So it's, sometimes it's better, I mean, I think from our point of view to not start. Just, And you can kind of rely on the forgiveness of God. You know, I've been to churches where nobody expects you to perform too well. You know, just, you know, get forgiven and start another week of sin and then get forgiven again. <laughs> you know? So we've all been that. And we maybe we practice that sometimes. But obviously God calls us to much more than that kind of a life he wants us to do more and if you want to be to me i think if you want to be effective sometimes i think that we like to be effective on our jobs most of you if i i know most of the men here and i know the kind of jobs that they do and they really really like to be effective on their jobs and they go to school and they they work till nine at night and they struggle to be effective and yet sometimes when it comes to god we don't we don't feel that way about him it's supposed to be god's supposed to be the easy guy the boss is hard, the wife may be hard, but God's supposed to be the easy guy, you know. So I think that, uh, I don't think God's easy. I think he's hard. And if we really want that satisfying life, you know, that we, we miss, I think that we want to get a hold of that. So I think getting into Proverbs and looking at it, even though not that pleasant, it does put the onus on us to perform. So that's why it's a good book. Not that there aren't other places in the Bible that do that, but Proverbs almost 100% is that. So this morning we're going to talk about why God tells us to fear him. And first of all, let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, we're uh, really thankful for the people that came today. And we're really thankful, Lord, for you and and your word that lets us look and try to find out who you are. That we we long to know you better, Lord. Even some of that, the parts of you that maybe uh, we're afraid of or maybe we would like not to know or to ignore. Lord, we want to know you better so we can worship you truly. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me, uh, I want to read a couple, reread a couple of Proverbs here. Uh, the first one, <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And there's another proverb that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so it seems like that there's, fear is kind of an introduction to God, kind of the preschool of a relationship between us and God. You seem to have to fear God before you can move on to all these other attributes of God. And I know we've talked about it in uh, Bible study and 
and, and book clubs. I think sometimes when you're raised in the church and you've been a Christian all your life, maybe you don't experience the fear of the Lord very much because you've always felt like you were pretty good and, you know, you behaved yourself and you went along with the program and everything was okay. But if you come to faith after you're an adult, most people that come to faith after they're an adult, they learn how to fear God because they see the failures of their life, that things aren't working for them, and then they, then they fear. I think everybody fears death. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with being afraid of dying. I think anybody that says, I don't fear death, first of all, I, I question their honesty. And second of all, I question their, 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 their sanity because I think we fear death. Nobody wants the existence to stop. I think it's foolish to say that. And, even, and the Bible acknowledges that. Nothing wrong with the fear, the fear of death. And, of course, Jesus, the last, the last scripture here is, the, is Jesus talking about be afraid don't be afraid of the person who can hurt you, but be afraid of the person who can cast you into hell. So that's the words of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is mentioned in the Bible about 130 times, and only five times in the New Testament. Most of it's in the Old Testament, which I think says two, two things. I think it says one thing, that we're beginning to see the revelation of who God is. And God, for his own reasons, chose to reveal himself in stages. He didn't we didn't get the 100% with Adam and Eve. Things developed over time, and I don't know exactly why, but that's how he did it. So the Old Testament God is this powerful God, and we see it especially with uh, uh, the Israelites leaving Egypt. And the fear of the Lord was on the people, and when the Israelite army went out, you know, God went before them. They took the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and God went before them. So the fear of the Lord was on the enemies of Israel, and also was on the people of Israel when they sinned. So the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is something that we see a lot of. And I think as we get into the New Testament, I don't think that the love of God, it doesn't de-emphasize the fear of the Lord. It just sort of outshines it. It's almost like if you have, you know, you had a bunch of lights, and, and before we didn't know too much about the love of God in the Old Testament, and then suddenly we got Jesus coming, and you got this huge light coming out. But those other lights, the fear of the Lord is still there. It just is kind of uh, eclipsed by the love of God. And so us being New Testament people, we tend to forget about that part of God, the fear of the Lord. But today, we're not going to forget about it. So I don't mean to de-emphasize the love of God. I'm just talking about the fear of the Lord because we usually don't talk about that very much. Uh, Ryan talked about an earlier sermon, like all of the Proverbs, it's not just for Christians or even believers, it's kind of good advice to people. So the beginning of people, to begin to know God, you've got to fear him, you've got to believe that he's real. And then if you believe he's real, he's got to be important. I mean, if he's real and he doesn't mean much, like the old gods, you know, the, 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 the idols, you know, if you went from one town to another town, the idea was, well, that idol doesn't work over here. So we don't have to pay attention. We're going to create our own idols that are our idols. But we know that our God and the way the Israelites saw God, that God was God of the earth, not just Israel or the God of the mountains or the God of the valleys, that he was God of all. So we have to realize that for God to develop as us to know him, he has to be powerful. It, everything comes out of power. We can't, you can't have a loving God that saves that doesn't have power to save. You could love, but if he has no power, it doesn't mean anything to us. And if he's holy and just, he has to have power to enforce that. So power is a basic ingredient. We have to believe in a God of power. And the Old Testament God, we get shown a lot of the power during the time of Moses. Um, 
the Israelites were so afraid of this God, they didn't want to talk to him. Moses said, let's go, you know, we're going to go to the mountain, we're going to talk to God. And they said, no, no, why don't you do it? We're afraid of him. So you can see all the trip of, of the Israelites into the wilderness, how they were afraid of God, and God had these manifestations of power, you know, the, the, the pillar of flame and the smoke. And even when Moses met him on the mountain, there was this manifestation of power. And so the power of God is something that we need to get a hold of. And I think we tend to be into what a friend we have in Jesus, which is true, but there's a lot more to it than that. There's this power of God, and even the power of Jesus, which we end up seeing on in Revelation, we see the power of Jesus. So the power of God is manifested in the Old Testament, and you can, if you want to read about it, you can read the Exodus, and it's really more apparent there. And I love the scripture that we read, and I want to reread that in Isaiah. And you can really see, you can really see the power of God here. In the year that King Isaiah, Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of the voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So here we have Isaiah, which I think really kind of captures the whole idea that I'm trying to talk about this morning. And one of the other translations says, he doesn't say I'm ruined, he says I'm undone. And I really like that translation, almost like a, a sweater that just kind of comes apart. And Isaiah was done in his own way, right? Like we're all done up in our own way. We have our assumptions about who we are, and, and, and we may act humble, but most of us aren't too humble. You know, there's these little secrets about we're good at this and we're not so good at that. And we have an identity that depends on our qualities. And here, Isaiah faces God on his throne. And that doesn't mean anything. And there's this sudden revelation of the power of God. There's this power of God, and not only the power of God, but the holiness of God. And so somehow Isaiah realized that God was holy. And I think it was, you know, it's like the the difference between information and revelation. And this was a revelation. It was like instant knowledge that God was holy. And when God was holy, what did it say to Isaiah? I ain't holy. You know, and he knew it, and we don't know. Isaiah didn't have a bad past. I mean, we don't hear a lot about him and women or whatever else he might have been into, but he was a good man, right? As far as we know from our standards, he was a good man. And yet the holiness of God was so powerful that it just it undid him. And I think that's the God that we've got to get a hold of. We've got to understand that God. Our holiness is nothing compared to his holiness. And with the holiness, there comes a, a, an aversion to sin, like a repulsion for, from sin. And we don't have that. You know, I mean, we Christians, we tolerate sin in our own lives. We tolerate sin in other lives. We don't have that reversion to sin, but I think he does. And there's almost like a violent reaction to sin to the point that Christ, you know, even like the song said where Christ, the fury of God was against his own son because of the sin that he represented, not because of the sin that he did. And so that we see that, that Isaiah realized he's, he's, he's a sinner he realized God is holy, and he also realized God is this huge, powerful thing. And because of that, he was afraid, you know, afraid of this holy God and afraid of this hugely powerful God beyond the point that I can imagine. Uh, a couple of, you know, personal notes. I remember when I 
when I became a Christian, I was an adult. I was 32. I was in a church service, and I had the usual thing, you know. You know, if you sin and you don't hurt anybody, you know, I don't worry about those things. I'm sad when I hurt people, but I'm not sad other times. It's just, you know, that was a, that's kind of a 60s thing anyway. And I, I was in the 60s, so uh, I had that feeling. And when I come to faith, I had this revelation of just how sinful I was. It was like this huge revelation that just like Isaiah, I was so sinful and I never felt that way before. And I knew it was God. You know, one of the, one of the things that identified that to me that I never felt that way before. I always felt guilty about what I did to others, but I didn't feel my little private sins. I didn't feel bad about. And so I had this, I was terribly repentant about everything I'd ever done. And it wasn't like I could almost control it. It would just kind of come out like a, you know, Oh, I'm so sorry. God, I did. And I wasn't, you know, it was just purely emotional. And so I, I, one of the ways I identified the legitimacy of that event was because I hadn't felt that way before. And so I could see that holiness, kind of like Isaiah, you know, just being so undone in front of God because he faces, I mean, when you see holiness, it's like you know unholiness. When you don't see it, eh, you know, we look okay. You know, we're little, like little clay statues around. We look okay. But when you face it, when you come to face to face, to face with it, you begin to see holiness. And so that's what, that's what happened to Isaiah. Uh, Sue and I were in uh, Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, and we were... Uh, we went to uh, we went to the science museum and they had a like a 3D movie surround sound you know surround thing of the of the Hubble, the the space uh, you know they went up to fix the Hubble then they had all the planets and there was this huge feeling of immensity and and a humbleness and a fear like it was so big and I think that's another thing that Isaiah was able to see. I don't think we see that too much today, but in space you know you feel so insignificant and so powerless in the face of the immensity of creation. And so I think that's another way that we can begin to see who God is. And I don't think we can imagine it. And I remember when I was a little kid, we still had steam, uh, steam trains. And I can remember being beside a train, a big steam engine, and, you know, the smoke's coming out of the top, and it's hissing on the side. And and there's this attraction to it, but there's a fear of it. You know what I mean? And I think that's what God's talking about. You're you're in the presence of God, and there's there's a, a holy fear of what's going on here. And one of the reasons you have the fear is because you realize how insignificant and how unholy you are, like Isaiah did. So I think it's important for us to keep a hold of that. We can't just let go of that because it tends to be kind of an Old Testament image of who God is. And that's not an image that's gone. It's just that we got Jesus, which kind of, you know, pale. It, it, it sort of recedes in the background with, with the information of Christ, but it's still as real as it ever was. So you might say, some people say, I've heard this argument, well, you know, you don't have to worry about fear because once the New Testament came along, fear is gone. And let me read this uh, kind of a proof, proof passage of that. This is in First uh, John. First uh, John uh, four eighteen and 19. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So they use that say, well, you know, it's a New Testament. Perfect love casts out all fear, so there's no fear. And my response would be, okay, how perfect is your love all the time? You know what I mean? If we, yeah, Jesus said, Jesus said to the, the Pharisee, he said, you know, what could I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, you know, which of the commandments is the most important? He says, love the Lord thy God with with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And if you do that, you fulfill the law. 
And, you know, when I read that, I'm thinking, man, who does that? You know what I mean? So, yeah, if you could love like that all the time, you don't have to have fear of God. But what happens when we don't love like that? Like, what happens with this old up and down thing that I, again, speak for myself, I suspect for you too, that that's the way we are with God. We're up and down like we are in our other relationships, our relationships with our wife, on the job. There's all kinds of relationships that we're not very steady at. And we don't like it. We don't like to talk about it because we know it's a failure on our part. But with God, we're like that. So what happens when you're down? So the Bible answers that question graphically in the life of David. So you see our, our, our brother David, you know, and we know about how much he loved God. I mean, nobody, it's never expressed, nobody's expressed the love of God in the Bible any clearer than David does. And if you want to read the Psalms, you know, they bring tears to your eyes because you can realize what a commitment he had to God. And all, from a very young child, not like he, it happened when he was 25. He's a kid and he loves God and we, and we see all the sacrifice and, you know, running from Saul in the wilderness and, and resisting taking the kingdom that God had promised him because he wanted to be obedient to God. So we see all this obedience and yet, you know, one summer night, you know, looking out of his palace, he sees Bathsheba over the way taking a bath and it all goes away right so the fear of the lord would have been real nice for him right then you know because obviously he didn't have the love of the lord you know so he wasn't afraid and so he was the king and all that i see is mine she's mine too i'm sure he could justify it she's one of my subjects and of course in those days the king owned it you know it wasn't like today where people had rights the king owned it so we know what he does he commits adultery with her has her husband killed which to me is so much worse than the first crime and betrays his army. You know, I've been in the military. I know what that must have felt like. And I believe everybody knew it. You think of Jerusalem, you know, this was like, what is this, 700 B.C., something in that order. And like a small town, gossip got all over. His soldiers saying, wow, why, how would you want to serve a general like that that would kill his brave guy and send him in the front of the battle to get killed? And so David suffers the consequences of sin. God still loves him. He loves God, but he suffers the consequences of sin. And they are horrible. And you can read it, and you know, the baby dies, his son Absalom revolts, his son Absalom is killed, and the kingdom's broken apart, and he's sent into exile for a while. And I can and and the thing that get me would be all the people knowing about what he had done. And I believe that they did, because that's the, way, that's the way those traditional societies work. And so that's the punishment of that. That's not having the fear of the Lord when you're down. So you need the fear of the Lord to kind of cover you. You know, you need the law. We need the law to, to remind us what is the thing that we should do when the love isn't so strong. Yeah, love's a better way. And the law and the fear of the Lord is not going to connect us to God, but it's kind of a, a, a backstop. It kind of can save us when, when the love is kind of cold. Just like marriage, just like when you get married and you're not too fond of your spouse this last week, it keeps you home. And a lot of times without marriage, you know, it's like there's no covenant, right? Without marriage, well, I don't like her now, so, you know, I'm going to go wander around and find somebody else, and maybe a year later I would be sorry and want her back, you know. But with marriage, we have that. That's kind of the marriage is kind of like the law. It keeps us, it keeps us in when... Maybe we don't want to be in, you know, maybe when we're angry. So I think it's really important. And I think this kind of idea of 
trying to understand who God is. And we talked about it again. We were talking in uh, the, the uh, book club the other day. And there's things about God we don't particularly like. You know, there's things about God, if we could make him, we'd make him different. And I think that's what happened with the idols. You know, that what they did, they made a God that they liked. So if you were a big drinker, you know, you had Bacchus and you could drink and party and that was your God. Or, you know, if you wanted to have a baby, you had a fertility God. Or if you wanted to grow your wheat, you know, in the fall, you had a fertility God. So there was all these gods that were actually represented the appetites of the people. But we don't have a God like that. We have a God who is real in his own creation. So we want to get to know that God. So if we know the God, we're worshiping in truer spirit than if we, if we worship a God that we construct, that we don't like this part, so we're not going to ignore that part. So I think the fear of the Lord is part of that God. I think that's the God we want to know, and I think we need to understand that. And I think as Christians, like I said, let me repeat again, as Christians... The fear of the Lord works when things aren't so good, when we're not so loving, which we're not. And I think we're, we don't like to admit it. I don't think we like to talk about it, but that's truly us. So let me pray again, and then we'll have communion, and uh, we'll finish the service. Uh, dear Lord, um, we thank you for the revelation of who you are, Lord. And, and we, we want to know because uh, we love you. And instead of uh, conforming you to who who we are, Lord, which there's always a tendency for us to do that. Let us be conformed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come up for communion. Uh